This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope that you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Revelation chapter 7, just verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All nations, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues, standing before the Lord. What a day that's going to be in heaven when everyone from every nation on the earth and every color and every language is going to be represented. What a thrill it is to be involved in missions. I talked to a pastor one day, I know the pastor, and we just bumped into each other on the street. I think it was in Portadown. And uh, for some reason or other, we got talking about missions. And he made a comment, and I, and I walked away saddened. Uh, I, I think maybe we were talking about the Philippines and her daughter there. And he says, ah, you are into missions, aren't you? And I says, yes, we are. Oh, he says, we're not. Nah, nah, he says, we're not really into missions. And that saddened me. Because that's the Great Commission. Go into all the world. And how's the world going to know about the love of God and about the Lord Jesus if people don't go? Thank God for people who will go. Now, they're not going as preachers. They're not going as evangelists. That's not their office that they stand in. But they will have plenty of opportunity to pray for people. Not like here. They will have ample opportunity to minister in different ways. And God will certainly use them in those ways. There's no question about that. Henry Martin, great missionary, says the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. We cannot help it. It's part of our DNA. Clarence Jones said when God's finger points, God's hand will open the door. She was talking about a visa a moment ago. I remember one of the first times Clifford and I went to the Ukraine together. Uh, at that time, we had to apply in London for visas, and it was a desperate job to get visa. It was awful. And I got mine the day before we were due to fly out, and Clifford got his the morning we were due to fly out. <laughs> there was only one post, and that was it. It had to come in, the passport and the visa, and it came in. And we got away. So we hope that it's not going to be as close as that for you. We trust that you'll get that tomorrow. Every church should be missionary minded. With that exception, why should every church be missionary minded? Because God has got a missionary heart. The great heart of God is a missionary heart. The greatest missionary verse in the whole Bible is the greatest verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. God's vision is worldwide. Every tongue, every tribe, every language, every color. 
That's God's heart. The Father has a world vision. From the tall, elegant Maasai to the little pygmies in the Congo. Every nation, every tribe. She has been to the Philippines, I think was the very first place she went to. She's been to Africa. Did you go to India? No, you, you went to India. She's been to Africa. And now she's going to an island off Africa. And everybody's different. They all spoke different languages and different colors. And that's the wonderful thing about missions. There's so many different cultures and people groups that we need to reach for Christ. What about the Son? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 is a great prophetic word about the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it's Isaiah who's speaking here, but it's about the Lord. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Somebody says that God had only one son and he made him a missionary. He was sent and he came. Aren't you glad tonight that he came? That he voluntarily gave up heaven and glory to come to the sin-cursed world for you and for me. That was his heart. You remember in John 19 when Jesus was being crucified and Pilate who knew that the Jews were lying, who knew that this was a put-up charge, but he was trapped because if he refused to do this, it would cost him his job. The report would go back to Caesar. He was already in trouble with Rome anyway, and so he caved in and he gave in. But in order to get back at the Jews, even though he allowed him to be crucified, but to get back at them in a very sarcastic, nasty way, he wrote this on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Nazareth was a hated place. It was a despised place. <laughs> you remember Philip went to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth? Could anything good come out of that place? And so Pilate was being sarcastic here. He was being nasty. He couldn't think of anything worse to say to them. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. But he wrote it in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. The three great cultures, the three great languages of that land at that time. And he didn't know how prophetic that was, that Jesus would be the man who would die for the whole world, for all of the cultures, for all of the languages, for all of the peoples. Caiaphas was an enemy of Christ. He was the high priest that year. And in John chapter 11, Caiaphas actually called him a savior. Don't you know that if just one man dies for the whole nation, that's better than the whole nation dying? And the Bible says he said that prophetically. He didn't even know what he was saying. And so even Caiaphas' enemy made him to be a savior, and Pilate, his other enemy, made him to be a sovereign. What a Christ we have. What a missionary heart he has that he came for us. The Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
Acts 1 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Actually, the book of Acts follows, historically, it follows that geographical pattern, just as Christ predicted that it would. Jerusalem first, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. You know, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that's where Christ spoke that. But you need to go to Acts 8, verse 1, to see how that began to pan out. Because it's only when you get to Acts 8, 1, because up to then, the church was very comfortable in Jerusalem. They were allowed to do what they were allowed to do. But suddenly a wave of persecution came to the church in Jerusalem, headed up by the apostle who became the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And suddenly they were scattered abroad. They had to leave Jerusalem. They began to be scattered abroad. And if you follow the book of Acts all the way through, we haven't time to do that right now, you'll find that that is the exact pattern that happened. Judea, Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. Philip went down to Samaria, had a great revival, and then to the ends of the earth. And so when you come to Acts 13, it talks about the church of Antioch. The church of Antioch was a place where those who were disciples of Jesus were first called Christians at Antioch. Antioch became that first great Gentile church. Antioch was a place where the Apostle Paul launched out into his missionaries, three great missionary journeys all across the Mediterranean world and the Asian minor world. That's where all began to happen. So just as Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8, that's exactly the pattern that took place and then Paul ended up in Philippi of all places, which was a Roman outpost just on the coast of the Mediterranean. And that was the first church in Europe that was born with Lydia and the Philippian jailer. And so the gospel is beginning to spread even into Europe. And that's why we're here tonight, because it spread further all the way over Europe, all the way over the UK, all the way to Ireland. And so just as Jesus predicted... And so God wants us to be missionary-minded. God wants sending churches. Say, what do you mean by sending churches? Churches that will send people out. You know, we're here 35 years, but I remember the first year we were here. And let me tell you, as David Calvert said this morning, there's four superstars sitting there and about three people sitting around each of them. In fact, for the first year we met inside that little room in the wintertime, it was so cold. But I remember even then saying and believing that from this building, people will go out to the ends of the earth. And that has happened. We have Claire in the Philippines. We have Rachel going off to Madagascar. We have Billy Turkington over there. He's not here tonight. But Billy goes into Moldova and Romania for years. He's been doing that. We have wee Backy Watson, who was here this morning. He's going around all the schools in Northern Ireland. And so people are going out. And that was the vision, and it's happening. For the first 17 years, we were a giving church. We always give to missions, but I wanted it to be a sending church. And do you know what happened? Our daughter was the first to go. And it was as if God, I believe, was waiting. It's okay preaching about it. It's okay talking about it. It's okay saying we're going to be a sending church. 
as if God said, well, okay, you send yours first. You sacrifice yours first. Then see what happens. And do you know what? As soon as she went, that opened the floodgates. And one by one by one, people started to go. Do you know that probably nearly half of this church has gone on missions over the years? And some now are in full-time missions. And that all began because that was the vision that God gave. So, we want to be sending churches. J. Hudson Taylor says, In many cases, what God wants is not a monetary contribution, but personal consecration to his service abroad. Are they giving up, listen Sam, are they giving up of a son or a daughter more precious than silver or gold to his service? Isn't that lovely? Isabel Kuhn, who was a great missionary, said, I believe that in each generation God has called men and women to evangelize yet all the unreached tribes of the earth. Everywhere I go, I constantly meet with men and women who say to me, when I was young, I wanted to be a missionary, but I got married instead. Or my parents dissuaded me, or some such thing. No, it is God who does, it is God who does not no, it is God who calls, it is man who will not respond. In every church, there are two groups of people, or at least there should be. There should be the givers and the senders, and the goers and the receivers. And both are absolutely necessary. I'm leading you somewhere in this short message, all right? So listen carefully. There should be the givers and the senders, and the goers and the receivers. Tonight we are the givers and we're the senders and Rachel and Louise will be the goers and the receivers. And they need us to be the givers and senders and we need them to be the goers and receivers. Not every one of us can go to Madagascar or the Philippines or Africa or India. But we can send them and we can give to them and they can be the goers and the receivers. And so that's their position tonight, and that's our position tonight. And between us, we'll do the will of God together. Each of us has our part to play. Why should every church be missionary-minded? Because God will bless the church that's missionary-minded. There's no question about it. If we give to missions... If we send to missions, God will make sure that he blesses that church. The Apostle Paul, two churches particularly, was close to his heart. One was the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a great church, but it was a problem church. They had lots of problems. And Paul spent 18 months at least with that one church, helping them with their problems, challenging them, teaching them, admonishing them, blood, sweat, and tears for that church. And you know the crazy thing? They never give him anything. Nothing. After all his effort and all his work, he had to go and make tents to support himself. Now, isn't that strange? Wouldn't you think the place where he was the most, that he put the most time in, the most energy in, wouldn't you think they would be glad to support this great man? But they didn't. They didn't give him anything. In fact, on a couple of occasions, he upbraided them about that. 
He says, do you know that it's, it's scriptural actually for you to support me and what I'm doing? But he says, it's okay. You can't handle that. You're not mature enough to handle that. I'll make tents. I'll just get on with it. But then there was the Philippian church. And he only spent days with that church. You remember how he met Lydia at the river? And he led her into the fullness of Christ. And then there's this young girl who was a fortune teller who ran about after him. And he cast the devil out of her. And her employers didn't like that because they were going to lose money. And they got him put into jail. And he won the jailer to Christ. And that church at Philippi was born there, right there. He was only there there days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks. And then he left to go off to Thessalonica. Do you know that they became his greatest supporter? And the reason why I'm saying this to you tonight, Rachel, is this. I don't know what your financial situation is, but sometimes the people you think will support you won't. And the people you hardly even know will. That's the way that it works. So you're not dependent on anybody. If you get your thoughts and your minds dependent on somebody and they don't do it, you'll be bitterly disappointed. You'll say, Lord, you will supply through whoever. Because he's got to supply through people, hasn't he? And there may be somebody you'll thinking, why in the world did they not support me? They know me. They know who I am. And they don't for whatever reason. Don't even think about the reason. But there'll be other people that you hardly even know. And they will be your supporters. And you know, whenever the Apostle Paul ended up in prison, right towards the very end of his life, it was the Philippian church that supported him right when he was in prison. He says, look, I don't need it. I have full. I have plenty. Actually, he was under house arrest. He couldn't use it anyway. But they were willing to give right to the very end. And there's going to people, listen, Rachel, there'll be people who support you right to the end. And God will make sure that you will have the supply to do what you need to do because you're doing it for God and for his glory. Amen? Having time to read this. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to give an offering to the church at Jerusalem. And it's like pulling teeth it's not even for himself it's for the church of Jerusalem who's struggling and it's like pulling teeth and he gets angry with them if you read it he gets upset in fact if you read 1 Corinthians 9 you'll see about how they treated him and he didn't like it and now he's trying to get them to give to the church at Jerusalem they're not doing it he says you promised to do this but you haven't done it you promised a year ago and you still haven't done it he says I tell you what I'm going to send somebody and in fact, I'm thinking of even sending some of those Macedonians, those Philippians, but it would be embarrassing if I sent them and you still hadn't done it. How embarrassing would that be for you and for me? He really put the pressure on, so he did. Do you know the Holy Spirit only uses 15 verses for the Ten Commandments? Only five verses for the Lord's Prayer? Only 10 verses for the Beatitudes and only 32 verses for the whole of creation. And yet the Apostle Paul takes two whole chapters to speak about one offering, a missionary offering. That's how much it was close to his heart and to the heart of the Holy Spirit who wrote this book. So tonight we're going to take a missionary offering. I know she says she doesn't like that term, but when you go out to do the Lord's work in a foreign country, no matter what you're doing, in that sense, 
you're a missionary. Even if it's temporary, you're still a missionary. So we're going to take a missionary offering tonight. I want to bless this young woman because she's making the sacrifice. She's leaving hearth and home and her friends and family and everything that she knows and everything she's accustomed to. And she's going to the other side of the world and she's going to do something that she hasn't done before in that it's difficult. You've heard all the stuff tonight. It's, it's, it's no picnic where she's going. It really is no picnic. I read in Wikipedia they have only one dental surgery in the whole of the whole country. Can you imagine that? If you took the toothache, what would you do? You'd have to tie a string on it and tie it to the back of your bike and get somebody to pull it out, wouldn't you? It'd be awful, wouldn't it? So we're going to raise a missionary offering for her tonight, all right? So I want you to give thoughtfully, joyfully, it says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Hilariously, it means, actually. Give with a glad heart because you're sowing good seed into good soil tonight. We want to send her away happy. We want to send her away blessed. And while she's away, then we need to pray for her. You know, Claire constantly tells us, please get the people to pray for us. And many times she says, we're going through stuff that we can't tell you, but your prayers get us through it. And that will be the same for her. There'll be things that will happen that she'll not be able to talk about. But if we are praying, God will bless and he'll protect, he'll look after. But you've got to keep praying. Bob McAllister, who's a retired missionary now, he's well in his 80s. Bob told me that the time that they were being held by the rebels in the Congo and they were threatened to kill them, he says, when I come home, he says, a farmer said to me, Bob, can you tell me what happened? And he mentioned the date. Bob says, why? He says, I was on my tractor and he says, God spoke to me to get on my knees and pray for you in Alma. And he says, it did. Do you know what happened in that very day? The rebels had lined them up to shoot them. In fact, Bob got grazed in his forehead and his best friend got shot beside him. He says, that farmer got off his tractor and he got on his knees. He didn't know what we were doing on that day. So it's important to pray for those who go on the field because you don't know what they're going to be facing. They don't know what they're going to be facing, but God knows. And he's everything under control, but he needs us to pray. And tonight we're going to give, amen? All right, so let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to sow into the kingdom of God, to give, Lord, to help uh, these expenses to be covered so that you'll not have to worry about money. Lord, that you'll have enough and more for this particular tenure in Madagascar. So Lord, bless as we give tonight. May there be enough and more to meet all of our needs. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or even download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.